right, welcome into this episode of Farce Cast. Farzi Masugi here with you. Hope you guys are having a great weekend. Hope you guys are starting to enjoy the outdoors a little bit more, uh, especially with the pandemic, things getting better in, in the uh, U.S. and hopefully everywhere else out there. So hopefully you guys are doing well, staying safe. Uh, big thanks to uh, my guests from this past week. We had author Melody McAllister joining us on Tuesday and then on Wednesday former Chiefs cornerback Eric Warfield was with me as well so uh big thanks to those guys for joining us if you haven't had a chance to listen to those go check out the podcast on my Facebook page YouTube for the video versions and then audio versions are just about everywhere where you can uh, listen to podcasts got a lot of exciting guests this month so make sure you keep it locked right here subscribe to the podcast share it with your friends uh, but for right now, uh, I'm very excited for our current guest. Uh, for those of you seeing the video version, you definitely recognize this guy, 6'6", six, six, uh, with the dreads. <laughs> Everyone recognizes this guy. Uh, play tight end for the Kansas City Chiefs uh, previously with the Philadelphia Eagles. And he's doing. he's been doing some podcasting as well, uh, some Chiefs podcasting. We'll get into all of that. Former Chiefs tight end Jason Dunn joining us right now on the podcast. Jason, how are you, man? Farzan, I'm good, my brother. How are you doing? You doing all right? Yeah, good, man. Good, good. Good, uh, good talking to you. Uh, I, I mentioned this to Eric. Uh, mm-hmm. my, uh, my, I had attended a couple of games at Arrowhead. My dad attended one game. My family and I were originally from Iran, just like uh, Marcus, Marcus uh, Dash, who you okay. uh, did the podcast with. And right. uh, the very first time all four of us, me, my brother, and my parents, the four, first time all four of us attended a game at Arrowhead was in 04 when Warfield got a pick six. But yeah, man, you guys, uh, during the Dick Vermeil era, you guys are, are the reason why we got into Chiefs football. I mean, all the things you guys did on offense and, you know, being new to the game of football, because my dad didn't watch football. A lot of kids who grew up here, you know, their, their parents usually teach them these kinds of things. You know, I had to learn a lot about the sport. You know, what's the difference between a tackle, a center and a guard and what makes those three guys different? And I remember one thing about you is a lot of people talked about you and, I didn't really understand the importance of why you were being brought up so much as a backup tight end, but eventually I learned over time, you know, this guy's utilized a lot specifically in this offense because of a, of a blocking tight end. So I learned a lot just watching you guys and getting into football. You guys really got me hooked and uh, it was really cool to watch you guys. So it's, it's it's special to talk to you and Eric and uh, other players from that uh, Dick Vermeil uh, era of football here in Kansas city. Yeah, man. Look, it was an exciting time. I mean, enjoy playing football. Uh, at that moment, especially under Coach Ramil. Uh, and, you know, actually, I, I, I came in under uh, Gunther. Uh, Guns yeah. wanted to brought me in, uh, you know, but that Dick Ramil era, man, we're talking about just uh, a lot of yards on the ground, you know, in the <laughs> air. I mean, putting up a lot of points. Uh, so it was some, some really good football being played back then, very fun and exciting football. So I'm glad that we at least were able to introduce you to I guess good quality football. Let me put it that way. You know, I think I think we put out a good product, man. We 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 had some bad boys on the offensive line and all around us, just on the team. So I mean, if you if, you know, the Chiefs fans know this, and we we talking about man, uh, Willie Rofe, Brian yeah. Waters, Casey Wickman, Will Shields. Uh, you know, we had uh, John Wilborn. Uh, uh, Cal Turley came in during that time. Well, I think Cal came a little bit after that. You know, me and Tony, Tony Richardson, Chief uh, uh, Priest Holmes, uh, man, let me let me go through. Uh, uh, Larry Johnson, Dante Hall, yeah. Eddie Kennison, Johnny Morton, Snoop, 
uh, man, you name it, man. We it, it was some guys on on the squad, man, that was doing a, a lot of good stuff. And I, I'm leaving guys' name out there. I mean, I could talk about you know, Bo Richter. And I, but these guys, I just enjoyed playing with, man. It was a, such a, a wonderful uh, family atmosphere. Uh, and not to mention the defense. So, you know, I, I, I'm sure Eric probably named them, but defensively too, man. It, those guys, man, I just loved uh, just the quality of, of character of, of guys that I played with, uh, the men that were in the locker room. Uh, and we every week, man, we gave it our all, and everybody enjoyed every single moment that was in Arrowhead Stadium uh, in front of our fans. And I, and I will say this: I'm gonna say this to me, being at Kansas City was bar none one of the best fans and experiences in just being in the, in the stadium in my entire life, period, bar none. You know, so I, I want to thank the fans for that, for just coming out to, to Arrowhead, man, and just supporting, you know, us and, and what we were doing out there, man. We, we enjoyed doing it. So, uh, Real quickly, uh, we are broadcasting live on the Facebook page, so a lot of you guys who are listening right now are definitely listening through that. Also, a big thanks to the Real Kansas City Chiefs fans Facebook page. Uh, They're uh, also sharing that as well, so we're on there as well. Uh, you know, you, you touched on a lot of things there. And by the way, uh, for those of you who asked questions earlier in the week, I do have some of the questions out. If you're watching live, didn't have a chance to ask a question yet, ask it below and uh, we'll uh, read through a couple of them and uh, ask uh, a, few, a few of those for Jason. You know, you mentioned this and Eric talked about this and gave us his perspective uh, being a defensive player. And I know he went through a lot with like uh, his uh, back injury, uh, mm-hmm. but that 2003 season uh, with, all the crazy stuff going on with special teams and offense. And I know the defense was not consistent and Eric was open and honest about that, but that right. defense still led the NFL in takeaways that year. Uh, mm-hmm. From your perspective, what was that 2003 year like for you? Uh, I'll tell you, you know, what we had, we had some high expectations because we just knew what we had. We knew what we had offensively. We knew what we had defensively, uh, you know, kind of coming into the season. Uh, and, you know, when guys are playing together, you know, and, and, you know, we're talking about time now where OTAs and then, of course, uh, you know, you get into summer camps and uh, many camps, you see what is out there on the field. You see what is playing beside you and you see what's on the other side of the ball. So we had high expectations. I mean, that season when I when I say about it is when we came in. Uh, one thing that we knew and, you know, we always want to say you are extensions of your coaches. And so Coach Tamil was very, you know, very sure about like, listen, look, we got, we got a chance to do this thing. We got a chance to win a championship this year. You know, here's the rules. This is how we're going to do it. Put the plan in motion and let's get it done. And so with Al Saunders, you know, just offensively, what he was, we was able to do as far as getting the guys put in, 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 in order and in the pieces, uh, man, like I said before, man, we, we, we knew that we had a wonderful team. We knew we had a wonderful team. Uh, but it was to me, 2003, it's one of those seasons that, you know, when you start getting you start to get rolling at the very beginning, it's like, okay, look, we got to do this. And then all of a sudden there's a there's a point of of, of confidence, like, look, man, we, we're unstoppable. The only one that's gonna beat us is us. And so when you start having that sentiment like that in the locker room, you know, in the meeting rooms, that's a great place to be. And so we knew that, you know, at, at, at that point, you know, early on in the season, that you know, we had all these, these different weapons around, man. All the guys, I look at it, like all the guys are healthy, you know, just playing at a high level. And, you know, the, the fans were just incredible. Uh, but it was it, it was an atmosphere that any team would want to be in. And 
the the greatest part of it was was when we were we were rolling and we was undefeated. You know, the whole I think of two thousand when Chad Johnson made the, the prediction about yeah. you know getting this guy. You know, we're gonna beat him. Like we didn't really care about that. You know, our, our sights was set on you know one thing, one goal only, and, I, and that was the Super Bowl. Uh, so unfortunately, we lost that game, and it was just like, ah, okay, all right, yeah. we got this. But it was like. All right, let's get this out of the way because then everybody was kind of talking about like going undefeated and all these other things that we, you know, we were, you know, kind of get to that conversation when when you're undefeated at the point. Uh, but we knew we still had, you know, a difficult task when we had to make the playoffs, and that was that was uh, that was like one of the things that you 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 really was on the radar. Like, look, you know, you still have Peyton Manning out here that you had to you know contend with. You know, if he makes it. Um, and uh, you know all the other ones in the AFC, we didn't really you know care about the ones that's playing in our in our division as much. You know, we, I think we pretty much knew that we had their number. You know, going in, you know, Raiders was always going to be a hard game, and Denver was going to be a hard game. Yeah. But you know, we just didn't feel like they had the firepower that we had. So, but you know, two thousand and three to me, man, was just a, it was a a great season, but just a disappointment of not being able to finish it up and win a a, a Super Bowl was the most disappointing thing. I think at, at that at that time and that moment, um, without a doubt, I think was one of the, the best Chiefs teams ever, you know, in my estimation. I, I, Eric and I talked about that no-punt game, and he gave me, you know, from a defensive perspective, you know, the whole no-punt thing as a defensive player, it, it's kind of a hard one to, to swallow. Uh, as an offensive player, did you guys ever at, at the sideline at any point in time, whether it was with your teammates or the coaches, did the topic of, no punts ever come up, you know, in the third or fourth quarter of the, of that game. No, no, no. You don't, you don't, you know, you don't talk about things like that. I mean, it, because punting is just a regular faction of what you do in a game, yeah. right? It's just uh, like, you know, you, that's why you get like all three phases of the game prepared, right? Offense, defense, special teams. So that's just, that's a natural process. You just think, you know, you're going to punt anyway. And to be honest with you, uh, I guess when you're in an offensive mindset and you're just moving the football, you're scoring touchdowns, you're not even – like the punting thing didn't even really come up, you okay. know, because you're just so in tune to what you're doing right now. And so I think, you know, when it starts saying, like, well, we ain't punted this game and stuff like that, I think when you look back on it, I, I know after the game was up, like, man, we didn't punt at all. But like I said, at that, at that moment, we were playing at a high level. Man, Priest was a workhorse in the backfield. I mean, Trent was just throwing darts out there. Guys are just, you know, catching, you know, balls and just making moves. Man, we were rolling. We were absolutely rolling. Um, and, and the thing is, we knew it was going to be a shootout with with uh, with Peyton anyway. Yeah. Um, we had we had a lot of confidence in our defense, and I know E said, you know, it was, was kind of disappointing, but we had we had confidence in our de- defense. We really did. Uh, you know, unfortunately, it did get to happen, and then of course, Priest fumbling. You know was another thing that rarely happens. Priest, you know, he, he never fumbles a football. It yeah. really happens with Priest. And so it was just one of those things that was kind of unfortunate, um, you know, to happen. But, yeah, no punts in the game. I, I would have never thought in a million years something like that would happen. So, yeah, you, you don't think about things like that. What was it like playing for Dick Vermeil? Because from, you know, like I said, that was the time where I really started to get into football. And one of the things that, that I picked up on and learned about it from reading in the media and whatnot was, you know, how much confidence and faith he had in players. He was always willing to give players multiple chances. Whereas when Herm Edwards took over, um, 
you know, he wasn't willing to give as many chances. And I think certain examples were used with um, Junior C of E, if, I, if I'm saying his last name oh, correctly. Yeah, yeah. I remember Herm uh, didn't really give him a whole lot of chances and cut him when he felt like he couldn't make it on the team, whereas Vermeil was really wanting to explore multiple opportunities. Can you kind of talk about what it was like uh, playing under Vermeil and what made him so unique to other coaches that you had played for uh, before? Uh, you know, I believe part of it was uh, perspective and experience. And Coach Ramil, just having conversations with him, uh, talks about his first tenure when he was in Philadelphia and how he did it, uh, kind of what he went through, uh, work ethic, uh, his expectation around his coaches and the team. Uh, and he realized, I think, uh, sometimes when when – you know, you get into it. You just want to do so well. And it's always like punching that clock in. So it's like one of those things like, you know, be the first one in, the last one to leave. And, you know, he kind of talks about when sometimes coaches always want to see who's the last one in there. Uh, it's almost like a, uh, you know, like, a, hey, look, I'm, I'm putting more time in than you, right? Uh, and I remember him saying like, look, you know what? This is X in the nose. There's not much more that you can be able to do, you know, staying in in, in the uh, uh, the coach's locker room, you know, in the meeting rooms till 12 or, or 2 o'clock in the morning. It's just not that much football to watch. I mean, you can always watch film, but sometimes the, the importance is also family. And I think that was unique to Coach Vermeer because he understood the importance of having family around you, having family time because of his first tenure in Philadelphia. And so – his perspective changed when he went into uh, uh, being a TV analyst, uh, yeah. sportscaster for a long time, and then got back into coaching, and he wanted to do it differently. And what he could see was, you know, his, his family was getting older, you know, things he missed out on. So I think he, he realized some of the things that he, that he missed out uh, because of wanting to do so much more on the football field. Uh, and the coaches. And so he took a different approach. I know when he got to uh, uh, St. Louis, but when he came to Kansas City, you know, he was all about family. He was like, look, guys, look, get your work done. I want the coaches to get the work done. I want all that work done between this amount of time. After that, go home. I want you just to, you know, decompress, get away from the stress, go home. Because I think, you know, just being able to have some type of uh, uh, therapeutic feel of, of, of dealing with the stresses of just playing in the NFL and just the media and all these different things. I mean, guys just need to be able to just get away from that environment sometimes. Right. And sometimes what we have, it. I don't know if you have kids or not, but sometimes just seeing the joy your kids faces, you know, and just watching them grow up uh, is memories that you just won't be able to get back. And I think he understood that. So that was his perspective of saying like, listen, you know what? The first time I tried to do it, was just one of those just hard driving, putting time in all the time and just worried about football, football, football and wins. But he started realizing that also football is a, is a microcosm of life. And so it's the same thing that we got to pay attention to details. And so paying attention to our family and our family's health and our own mental health and our own things that we should be doing uh, is going to be beneficial. And it's going to help us out on the field. And he realized that. And, and and he was so gracious that he was able to kind of incorporate that into what we wanted we wanted to do out there on the field as far as having a family atmosphere. So that that was his difference, I think, with uh, with Herm. It was just his perspective, that experience of just being in the league for so long and just seeing how coaches did it and how they were treating some other coaches. And he really didn't want to, 
get into that his second part of his his career of coaching. Uh, you did mention you alluded to Chad Johnson and the comment he made earlier. Uh, I don't know if you're a boxing fan or if you have any interest in that Floyd Mayweather, uh, whichever <laughs> whichever Paul brother he's fighting tonight. Um, I just learned yeah. this this morning. Chad Johnson is on that card. I did not. Did you know that? You know, I heard I heard him talking about it. You know, I, I didn't know exactly. You know, because somebody told me about it. I was like, hey, man, you're going to check your boxing out uh, tomorrow. And, and, you know, I think, man, it's a publicity stunt, man. It's, you know, yeah. the whole Jake Paul and, and, you know, I mean, it's whatever. It's whatever. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm just kind of, I'm, I'm kind of over that that whole deal. You know, it was fun when he, you know, he was Nate Robinson, all these like this. But, yeah, he's, he's getting in there with Mayweather. Hey, look, be prepared. Get your chin ready. You know, because he's going to do some, <laughs> some chin checking. I'm sure, look, Floyd's going to make it a, 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 an entertainment event that's yeah. what it's gonna do so he's gonna take it easy on the guy but it's, it's all about entertainment you, you drumming up he wants to get both of them paid so we know how to you know whole marketing with these guys go but chad I, you know i want to see chad out there because he, he was talking about on the athlete things and i i catch it every once in a while he's talking about boxing 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 and, and here it is so it'll be interesting to see him go out there and uh you know and, and fight I, I might i might check it out uh just for that so yeah I, I'm glad you said it because I I wouldn't if somebody didn't tell me about it yesterday I would I would have I would have completely missed it today you know to be I, honest with you honestly I didn't even know it was on a Sunday for some reason you know these events are usually on a Saturday like I'm a huge Saturday. UFC fan uh, right. and right. almost all their events on a Saturday but yeah I, I just remember to uh, bring that up because uh, you you mentioned uh, Chad earlier um, a lot of questions uh, were coming in and I had a couple of questions as well about Tony Gonzalez you of course probably worked with him or talked to him the most out of anyone on your team, I would imagine. Um, What was it like just being around Tony Gonzalez and being able to see him accomplish a lot of the things that he's done as a tight end? Uh, What was it like? I don't know, man. It's like like being around your brother, you know, really. You know, you just – your brother, your your friend, your pals, man. You know, we just, you know, spend a lot of time together, you know, in the the room – off the field, you know, going to eat, man, just, you know, knowing family, it's, it's, so it's family. So with Tony, man, Tony's such a, man, a good-hearted guy. You know, he's kind of quiet. I know he's kind of misunderstood. And, it's, you know, it's a little different because everybody's looking from the lens of being sports fans or whatnot, you know. So, he, but, you know, he's just real people. You know, he's just down to earth like everybody else, man. He, he, he really is. And so we used to have a lot of fun, man, in our meeting rooms mm-hmm. uh, with each other. Just on the team and just talking, man. Just talking about life, philosophy, uh, all type of things. You know, just messes and all everything, everything. But Tony, man, like I said, man, he's a good-hearted guy. I say, man, he has a he has a tremendous heart, tremendous heart as far as a person. So he's, you know, very great character person. Uh, work ethic. When when you're talking about being a, a consummate pro and what he would bring out there to the game. And, you know, we would, we would lift with each other after, after uh, our practices. Of course, we would catch balls at the practice. And so his routine was one that he was always setting himself up for success. And I think part of what great ones do is there's a sense of like, what's driving you was not to be successful, right? So one like I can't fail. I'm, I'm not trying to fail. I'm, I, you know, I got I got to improve on everything else I've been doing to become better, become the best. And he was just working on that every single day and everything that he was doing out there on the field. Uh, it was in the weight room. 
you know, his eating habits changed. And so, you know, playing with Tony, man, was just, it, it was a joy to watch. It was a real joy to watch, man, because he was, it was things he was just doing out there that I was, I was just like, man, look at, look, like, that's, that, that's some special stuff right there. That's some special stuff. Well, well so, I remember, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I, I was just saying, you know, it was good because we was able to, to rub off each other. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of the things we did, especially, you know, playing the same position, you know, we talk about, you know, you know, route running, you know, blocks, you know, helping out. I mean, you know, because we just, you know, we're talking the same language, being on the same page, everything that we're doing. And we're constantly, you know, ragging against each other all the time. I mean, just jokes being thrown constantly. I mean, it's just nonstop, man, nonstop. So. <laughs> well, I think what's so interesting about Tony, I remember the 2008 season when the Chiefs went 2-14. and 14, He made a comment in the media about how he's going to be optimistic no matter what. Uh, even as things got really rough, they got to a third-string quarterback. He was still saying a lot of positive things about Tyler Thickpin in the media. And I remember in his first offseason with the Falcons, he called Matt Ryan the best quarterback he had ever been with. Uh, and, and look, not that, you know, players generally throw their teammates under the bus no matter how tough things might get, but was he just always that optimistic kind of guy that maybe you guys could maybe lean on when you needed him the most? Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, anytime we needed, you know, maybe a first down or a big catch, I mean, we was going to call 88's number. And we knew uh, just having that, you know, in your pocket at the time you needed it, you know, he's going to come up big. And he was one of those guys that, that was able to shine in those uh, those times, those situations. You know, because we watched him do it out in practice. And like I said, I, you know, I knew his mindset. You know, most guys' mindsets out there is like, look, I'm going to win in any situation, you know. So a lot of guys say it. Some guys do it. And so he was one of those, not just said it, but he, he was going to show it and do it. And so he didn't, he didn't care if you had two guys draped on him. It didn't mind to him. You know, and that was a great thing for, for Trent to have because Trent was like, look, if I throw this ball up where only he can catch it or throw it somewhere near, 88's going to snag it to go get it. But that was just – that's a testament to what his, his work ethic was out there on the football field, you know, every single day of practice. So on the sideline, he's, he's sitting over there catching, you know – 200, 300 balls a day, maybe like when the defense is out there and on the scout team, he's still on the sideline catching footballs. You know, he's catching it from different different points, right? Different uh, angles. And so he just constantly worked on his craft. He constantly worked on his craft. And so if it wouldn't just be throwing football to him, he had some of the strength, coach, strength coaches throwing footballs to him uh, on the side. But he just he constantly worked on his craft. So the, so sometimes people see it's like, oh man, it's a great talent. He worked to get to where he was at. He worked to be the best tight end to ever play the play the game. And so you know it wouldn't by no measure when you're sitting there thinking like in a game we're we're down and we need a first down. We knew we were gonna call out eighty eight. I mean that was just and everybody on the team knew it's like well look we throw it to Tommy he's gonna he's gonna make the play he's gonna make the play. So that's the same thing. Like I said, that's it's a, it's a good place to be when you know you have somebody like Tony, you got somebody like Trent, who Trent was just very particular, like throwing the football too, man. I don't think people realize um, and appreciate how great a quarterback Trent was. Yeah. Um, and uh, I just want to, you know, give an ode to, to Trent right now, man, about how, how great he was. I know what you said about Matt Ryan, but Trent was a, was a great quarterback too uh, in his own right. So, um I know Tony, you know, saying that as far as, you know, Matt Ryan. And part of that could be, well, look, that's where I'm playing at now, right? Yeah, and exactly. I, this guy, you know, you know, he's, uh, he's the best. 
running back I ever played against, what are you going to say, that the guy's terrible? Hey, you know, he's a second. It's, it's kind of like he got lit up for that comment. I, I guess he was at the Super Bowl uh, in Atlanta a couple years ago, and he said Atlanta made by career. I mean, the, the local media was asking me, and, and I guess Chiefs fans got all worked up, which honestly I think that's a really silly thing to get all upset about. But, yeah, I mean, like what are you going to say? No, he's the second-best quarterback I ever played with. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Well, well here, here's the thing. And, and actually, when he said that, we we actually we got on him a little bit. Me and, and Billy. <laughs> I just well, said, look, man, you can't say that. <laughs> Wait a minute. Hold on. You cannot say that. that and look, I understand he's trying to be you know, politically correct, right? You, yeah. you, try, you know, that, that's your market now that you're dealing with. Uh, you know, and, and he made some things there that, you know, he has sentiments that he, you know, that he was expressing on some on a whole other level, a whole deeper level that people didn't really know too much about and I, I might not expound on that right now I, I don't know <laughs> but I, I'm just saying that you know we, we got on it you know like his brothers do you, you, you call him, but hey man what are you doing what are you, what are you talking about like what man I'm like look man you, look you just left out a whole swathe of people out here in, in Kansas City that's watching this they realized that you was birthed over here major career in Kansas City like you can do both right yeah you can, you can still celebrate Atlanta but still give, pay homage to, you know, where you cut your teeth at, you know, where you actually made your career. And I, and I think he, he knew, he knows that, he knows that. And I think it's why, you know, he's, he's able to come back and make amends. Sometimes when you say things, you can't come back to you, right? It's like, oh, well, I try to, try to walk it back, but it, it may be too late. Mm-hmm. You know, so in a moment, when somebody's putting a microphone in your face, you know, you just kind of like, uh, uh, well, well, how do you how do you like my uh, how do you like my cooking? Oh, it was the greatest steak I ever had in my life. Oh, it was it was absolutely wonderful, best thing ever, right? So you know you go home and your wife was like, "What are you talking about? Wait a minute, hold on, I, <laughs> I cooked your steaks, you know, these past twenty years. What do you mean? Like, well, I didn't mean that. You know, I was just saying because I had to say. So that's what I look at it for. You know, what uh, Tony was saying, but but by no means he he was taken away from uh, his time in Kansas city, uh, his, his respect uh, and his time that he was able to do what he did on the field for those fans. And, and he knew it. He was, he was a pillar of the community. Uh, he loved every moment of it. So yeah, I, I just, I know what you were saying. Like, you know, don't take it as a slight, but that sometimes, you know, everybody gets in their feelings like, Oh man, that hurts. And then, and, and like I said, knowingly, I know he was like, ah, okay. I, you know, could have just paused a little bit. Right. So I didn't realize that. That's uh, that's good to know. I didn't realize you guys uh, got him uh, him on that. I'm sure a lot of Chiefs fans uh w- w- would like to. Because anytime I mention Tony, yeah, there's always like one or two people that's like, I mean, they're like, nope, I don't accept him at all. And Chiefs history, it's like, okay, calm down. It wasn't that terrible of a thing he said. Um, I guess now would be a good question to go to our uh, uh some of our fan questions. Uh, again, if you guys are watching live on the Facebook page, uh. So we're on my page right now. Also, the Real Kansas City Chiefs fans Facebook page. Sean asked, um, "How did he help Tony Gonzalez in his blocking? Uh, were there ever times where you uh, would uh, work on that kind of thing with Tony?" Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You know, we we worked on it on a daily basis. Just you know, we talked about you know footwork, technique. Um, you know, my thing was you know hand placement, ad placement, and so we would talk about these things all the time. You know. It was like, hey man, how do you, you know, you know, what's your technique of reaching this guy? Like, if I'm trying to get him, I'm like, shoot, you know, we'll just have to just try to work over him a little bit more. You know what I mean? And so we were constantly, you know, uh, you know, rubbing off each other, 
you know, how to get better in, in every aspect that we did. So it wasn't just like the running game, but the same thing, the passing game, you know, I'm just watching how he's, he's breaking out of his routes. And I'm looking at what foot he's cutting off of and how he's making a cut and maybe how he's, he's setting the guy up. I was like, oh, that's a good setup right there. That's, that's, that was perfect. I said, look, if I go here and I try to set him up this way, what do you think about doing this? And so we would always constantly just, you know, do that and trying to get each other better. So some of the things I was did out on the field, um, you know, and, and, and he would see me. He was like, man, Jay, I don't know how you made that block right there. You know, and, 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 and I was in all the things he was doing out there on the football field. But that that's we, we were constantly doing that to get, get each other better, uh, you know, in our processes of being professionals. Uh, while we're sticking on the subject of the tight end position, Ryan had a question. He says, how much work did you put into your blocking game? And do you feel you were underutilized as a pass catcher? That's a good question. That's a real good question. Real good question. Well, I'll say this. Um, and I'll go back to my history of being in Philadelphia. Philadelphia, I was was a starter. You know, I was, I was catching footballs out in Philadelphia and after I had my knee injuries, you know, obviously my speed wasn't what it, it used to be uh, when I was in Philadelphia. And so when I got to Kansas City under uh, Gunther, Gunther was just talking about, you know, hey, look, Jason, man, you know, great player, love playing against you. I just remember what you did, you know, against us when we came up here to Philadelphia. And so when we were just talking offensively, I, I knew, you know, we had a guy with Tony, you know, catching the football. He's going to catch most of the footballs out there. And so what I ended up doing is I just kind of uh, uh, decided to, you know, cut out a little bit of, of what I can do, you know, on my side. And so blocking became my forte. So I'm just like, okay, if I'm not going to be utilizing the passing game as much, you know, I, I was always a, a good blocker. I, I would always say that. I was always a good blocker. I learned from the best, Ed West and Jimmy Johnson, learned how to block, you know, big guys when I was a lot smaller. And so when I came out in Kansas City and I was playing around about 270, you know, blocking defensive end at that point, man, was just, that was, <laughs> that was my focus, you know? So my, my job was to make sure Trent has enough time to throw the football, you know, get out and rouse when I'm out there and, and make, you know, the, the least amount of passes I get, make sure they count. Right. So of course everybody wants to catch more balls, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm catch more footballs. That's just, that's just part of it. But I understood the, the importance and I know the team understand my importance as far as being a blocking tight end. You know, helping our priests get in the yards and helping our offense be what it was. And so uh, I, I was I was very fortunate to have uh, guys that appreciated me uh, for what I did, uh, even though, you know, because everybody looks at, you know, tight ends. How many footballs, how many footballs are you catching? Well, shoot, how many yards is Priest getting? And so I look at my, uh, my body of work of having practically every running back I've had behind me have gained over 1,000 yards in the season and, made, wow. and better. So that's I look at that. I, I take pride in that. And I was very uh, uh, fortunate like that to have a, a great offensive line, but also to to me to contribute in that aspect of the game where these guys are able to get in the end zone and guys recognize me for what I did. What happened after your time in Kansas City? Because if I'm not mistaken, I know on the 2007 team, you weren't with the Chiefs, but. I believe, and I did uh, cover the team uh, in person, uh, attending games in the uh, media, but the, the press box, I thought I spotted you on the sideline, and I thought I maybe saw you in the locker room for a couple of those games as well. Did you keep in close contact with the team in 07, even though you weren't playing for them that year? 
Well, I played it. I played in 07. I played in oh, 07. You did. I did. Yeah, I played in 07. Oh, okay. Oh, I meant 08. I'm sorry. I meant 08. Yeah, 08, 09 okay. season. Uh, I mean, I, I, I kept in close contact. Yeah, because I, I was still kind of back and forth between Kansas City okay. uh, and, um, and Kentucky. Uh, so I, I came out to you know a few games, but that was that was pretty much it, you know. But I was I was kind of in that mode, uh, like I'd already I'd have been in the league, you know, really twelve seasons, played for eleven when the one I had hurt, uh, you know, I was already in the mode of like you know retirement, you know, I was coming home, you know, being dad, being a father, and so yeah. I knew Kansas City had already gotten what they needed out of me, and teams were still calling me at that moment. They they were still calling me, so I had still two years where I had like this grace period to teams were still calling like, Hey, you know, Jason, you know, you still thinking about playing, love to have you here. Love to have and so that was, uh, uh, one of the things that when, when you leave an organization, you know, you kind of, you, you still stay in touch, stay in reach, you know, when, when you need to. Uh, but I was, I was already kind of that, that mode of like transitioning to moving on out of, uh, out of Kansas city, because I didn't know where I, I, I could have been. I could have been, like I said, I had, uh, New Orleans called me, uh, Minnesota, some other, you know, other teams that had called. It was like, hey, you know, Jason, you know, what do you think about doing? So I knew that my my home base had to be here in Kentucky. So I just came back home, you know, my home base. Okay. And got back out of Kansas City. I know you've done some coaching uh, the past few years since you retired from the NFL. Uh, talk about that experience. How did you get into that? And, and how do you like uh, the the coaching aspect of the game? Uh, I love it. I, I love the coaching aspect of the game. I, uh, it, it kind of, uh, when I retired, came back to Kentucky, um, I was taking my son up to practice. And so the coach uh, had played at, you know, a college that, that we attended. And he was a lot younger than me. He was asking, hey, man, have you thought about getting into coaching? I was like, I, I, yeah, but, I, you know, not really. I just, down at this moment, I just like watch it. I just want to watch. And so, I remember bringing my son to another practice. He's like, hey, look, we need uh, uh, another coach. I'd love to have you on the staff. If there's something that you want to do, love to have you. Can you, you know, please think about it. And so I considered it, and I finally went ahead and said, yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead and do it. And I instantly fell in love with it. I fell in love just with, uh, you know, able to share information, you know, just being around, you know, the kids uh, and just seeing all the joy that they had. And then also, too, just having a connection of just with football, of kind of playing. So I was just like, oh, OK, I'm not playing football, but I'm still around it. I'm still part of it. And, you know, coaching kind of gives you, you know, that level of uh, of, uh, of comfort, at least for me, it did. So I coached high school football here for uh, three and a half, four years. Uh, and then I went on and I played, uh, I coached at uh, Kentucky State University for four years up there as well. And then my last two years, I just uh, got finished coaching my son in junior high. And so I've been on kind of all levels of coaching. Hadn't got up to the NFL yet. You know, I, I don't know as far as, uh, you know, I put in for a couple of internships. I got a couple of bites. Uh, didn't really, you know, happen the way that, you know, I thought it would, which is which is fine. Uh, but I'm, I'm at a good place, man. But coaching, man, was allowed me to still be a part of the game. Uh, but it's still, uh, you know, give my knowledge to everybody around and help all the ones around me that may have aspirations to go to the NFL or just going into college. Uh, I was I was really, really happy to be a part of that. So. 
that's what I loved about it. That's what I loved about it. We talked about this a little bit before we uh, went live. Uh, I know in Kansas City, you started Done for Kids, and you're still uh, continuing with that, if I'm not mistaken. Talk about that. Uh, what What is uh, Done for Kids about? So uh, Done for Kids is my foundation. Uh, when I was in Kansas City, starting in 2003, uh, I was uh, in coalition with uh, the Salvation Army. So I was doing some, 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 some work for them uh, and was helping uh, – uh, raising the money and giving scholarships out to to widows of of military families and their children. Uh, then, of course, like to uh, some the youth in inner city, uh, you know, giving out scholarships as well. Uh, and one of the things I wanted to do and expound on is I, I brought it out here to uh, Kentucky. Uh, I wanted to bring it back home and work more in this community here. Uh, and so, what I, I found out was, you know, being in in, in the coaching. Uh, uh, coaching realm, there's just a lot of need. You know, there's a lot of need for information to be passed on to kids uh, to be able to, to get to the next level. So whether, whether it's junior high going into high school, high school going into college, um, I wanted to be able to, 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 to reach out and help kids in that regard. And so Dump for Kids is my foundation I'm bringing here and I'm trying to get off the ground as far as this, this new entity, a part of it is taking this information to schools. I want to, I want to take it more to, to schools and getting out of the, the coaching realm of just helping just one team. Now I want to help out as many teams as possible. So it ain't just one team has coach done or just K-State having coach done with the resources and the knowledge to kind of get them to the school. I could, I could just see that there was a lot of things that, that parents didn't know and the kids didn't know uh, of trying to navigate life, especially at that time from like high school to, to college. And so me helping out like with the, uh, uh, you know, the academics and the clearinghouse to get kids into school. I'm like, look, you know what? There's a need here. And to help kids navigate their life uh, right now is, is so pivotal for them that it needs to brought to them. So that's my, that was my thing for dumping kids down is that's going out here to help as many kids as possible, giving as much information, uh, 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 men and, 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 and girls, you know, just give them the knowledge that they need to say, hey, look, we're talking about, you know, being a champion. We're talking about, you know, financial literacy. We're talking about academics. We're talking about character. We're talking about all these good things that all of us, all of us uh, have difficulty with uh, that we want to be able to try to get better. And part of that is just hold each other accountable uh, with, with these things in our life and having somebody to hold us accountable. So I've, I've been talking to a lot of like-minded, uh, you know, men, uh, and just kind of talking about the things, you know, of course, you know, faith that's done in my life, but also too, you know, what I've just been immensely blessed with as far as being able to play in the NFL, but, you know, the mindset, the mental strength that you need to have to persevere over some of these difficulties that we fight, that we face in life. So that's kind of what Done, done for Kids is. So I'm still doing the things as far as like, you know, uh, some of the work with the Salvation Army, but now I'm going I'm to move into a different realm where, I'm just helping out even more, even more kids. And I think that, you know, this day and age, man, it's, that's what's needed. Yeah. You see so much in this world today, man, of just so much hate and so much divisiveness. And it's just so crazy that we, we constantly let all these divisive talks come up. It's always the friends here. And, and some of this stuff ain't even friends. It's the mainstream that's talking this way. And, you know, I want to make sure that we're, we're, we're trying to invoke and imbue love love and acceptance, you know, and talking with each other as opposed, you know, you know, over each other, you know, and just pass each other. 
And that's part of the, the problem is we just don't sit down and have a conversation to try to understand one another, right? It's not that we had to agree on everything, but at least let's get some information, you know, and think critically about these things. And hopefully, you know, all of lives, every single life uh, is being uplifted. So that's pretty much kind of nutshell what Dump for Kids is. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm really, really excited to uh, what, what things are to come. That's awesome. Uh, and no, I 100% agree with you. I mean, I think we do a lot of uh, too much talking, too much talking over the other person and not wanting to hear out the other side, unfortunately, um, in so many areas. So, uh, yeah, I, I've been saying this and I mean, you just said it as well. Uh, I've been saying it for a while. Uh, the more people hear each other out, let the other person talk, take turns, that kind of thing. But uh, no one wants to do that, unfortunately. Uh, hopefully we can find a path to that point because that's definitely what we need in our society for sure. Absolutely. Um, let me real quickly check and see if there are any other questions. Uh, Brent had a question. He wanted to know uh, who was the most feared player on the field when you played as opposed to now and how would they comp- compare? Was there anybody that uh, you guys feared? Guys that we feared. I don't know. Fears. I don't know if that's a good word. I don't know if it's an optimal word to use right now. Feared. Uh, maybe concerned about, maybe. You know, because there was good players. I mean, you, you're going to have guys like that in the NFL, right? I mean, we play Baltimore, obviously. You know, Ray Lewis is one of the guys that you always got to, you know, know and be aware where he's at on the field. He's one. Uh, uh, you know, Ed Reed is another one. Uh, playing our own division, man. We're talking about uh, shoot up. <sighs> Linebacker from uh, uh, Denver. I just lost his name. Uh, but he was he, he, he was in the middle, man. He was he – was, Heck of a player. Heck of a player. Can't think of his name, man. So uh, I'm going to try to look at it. Uh, are you talking about DJ Williams? No, 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 no. Man, it just it just hit me again. I got it. Uh, he played at Tennessee. Uh, middle linebacker. But he, he was he was another guy that you had you had to be aware of. And then, of course, you know, during those times, man, we had, you know, in, in, in San Diego, you know, some of the other guys that, you know, you oh, had to. Oh, you're you're talking about Al Wilson. Al, big Al, man. I don't know how I forgot Al, too. Oh, Hammerhead, as you saw, used to call Al, man. Oh, Hammerhead. So, you know, he, he uh, Al, man, was a great player. Uh, and, and so, I don't know as far as, like, fear. Feared, I wouldn't use word feared. I don't, I don't think no guys out there fearing anybody out there. If, if you fear guys out there on the field, you don't need to play. Don't even come out the locker room, okay? Don't. Uh, are you aware about how great they are? Sure, sure. But that's just another another realm and and opportunity for you to show what how good you are. But yeah, uh, that that would probably be it. That would probably be it. Uh, Ryan asked another question. Uh, what memories uh, stick out to you from the eight rushing touchdown game against uh, Atlanta? <laughs> They were, they were number one against the run, if I'm not mistaken, yes, going into that game. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember I remember the discussion in, in, in the meetings the entire week about how great their defense was. And so uh, it was said in the meetings, like, hey, you know what? They, they bring these teams in, you know, they, they, you know Michael Vick, and, you know, they're, they're, you know, they're killing folks out here. They said, you know, they're, they're the best defense ever played. Look, you got a challenge in front of you. So I just know we just it would just constantly just you know burn us in our heads the whole week the whole week. It was just in there saying like, look, man, it ain't gonna happen here. First off, in our own home, it's just not gonna happen for one. 
All right. And number two, ain't going to happen with all the guys we got in this room. Okay. Number two. So I think we just took it as a challenge and took it upon ourselves, man, to really go out there and uh, kind of make an example of, of Atlanta. Let me put it that way. And so we, you know, we put our game plan together, man. We put our hard hats on, strapped up, man. And we just went to work. And I just remember it was just constant, just cheers. That whole, that whole, uh, uh, that whole game. And you, and you can see it. You can see it in, in the in 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 the huddle. The guys getting a huddle, man. You can just see the business on each other's face. Like usually, sometimes getting a huddle, guys are just kind of you know kind of loose and stuff. But everybody was look. They brought their business suits, their briefcases, and everybody was going to work that game. And you could just see it. You know, when Trent came in, everybody was just tuned in to see what, okay, let's go. Let's get this going, right? Sprint to the line, man. And we just started whooping tail. Just start whooping tail, man. The priest, man, Joker went and hit his, hit his head on the goalpost, you know, four or five times. Then we, then uh, uh, Derek Blaylock came in, you know, yeah. Mookie. We called Mookie Blaylock, you know, said uh, Derek came in and got like another three touchdowns, I think. Uh, and I said, man, I said, we let everybody score that game. I think we even let the, the manager come in and put, put some pads on and let him score a couple of touchdowns. But I just remember, man, how how that first half, man, we were just absolutely lighting them up on the field. We were just taking them up and down the field, man, and just had our way with them. We did. Uh, and so, so Mike, we had a great game plan against and, and Mike, too, because he, he was ineffective against, uh, yeah. against the defense. And mm-hmm. so was the thing, man. You know, sometimes certain teams – and, and that's a, and another guy we're talking about being aware of, like Michael Vick. Look, you don't contain him, he's going to kill you. So now all of a sudden he has this great defense, great defense behind him, right? That's number one. Hey, not in Arrowhead, not in our house, not going to happen. So, <laughs> hey, we put we put the wall paint on. Go to work, baby. Go to work. Uh, I completely completely had forgot about this. Um, I, I was just uh, thinking about this earlier today. Uh, you were you mentioned uh, you, you were on the team 2007. That was your last year with the, with the team. Uh, that was also the year you guys were on Hard Knocks, and uh, there was a very memorable episode one. Somebody voiced their displeasure of being on the second floor, which happened to be you. Yes. Was yeah. that blown out of proportion on TV, or were you really upset about the whole situation? Oh no, I was pissed. <laughs> I, I was absolutely, I was absolutely pissed, and. The crazy part is, you know, we usually have, you know, uh, room assignments uh, every single year. And so I've, I've, I've always had the first room on the first floor. And Coach Ramil gave me that. And so that's just where I was. You know, everybody knew it. Everybody knew it. And Coach, Coach, and here's the funny part. Coach gave me the first floor room because he's just like, Jason, look, I know you're going to try to sleep in at the very last minute. All right. So I want you to get all your rest in. Okay. And I want you to be the first one to get out of the room when you have to, you know, when it's fast. So that was one of the things. So I was, I was thankful for that because Coach Real knew me. He, he, he did. He, he knew me. You know, he just, t- he would just tickle at me. And I, I just love Coach Mill Ford. But when I came up to camp and I'm going to my room, right? I, I already knew I, you know, it's always the guys that's coming in new or somebody trying to find out whether they're on the second floor, third or fourth floor. And, and I'm like, I'm looking at my key. It's like two something, two. I'm like, what is this? Oh, I must have picked up the wrong package, right? So I go back, and the front desk is like, hey, Jason, look, I, I don't know what to tell you. Like, this is what the assignments are. I'm like, are you serious? He's like, yeah. So I'm like, 
Oh, heck no. Nah, this ain't going to happen. So I, I leave. So I go straight to the, the coach's dorm, right? Straight over to the coach's dorm. And so go to the coach's dorm. It was kind of funny because it seemed like it was just set up. But well, I, you know, the cameras were everywhere. That yeah. was it was just so, it, it was it, it was really uh, uncomfortable because the cameras just was up. So it seemed like it was almost kind of like a setup in a sense. Like they just always wanted that juicy coverage, juicy coverage of things. So I go over, I come and I knock on the coach's door in that meeting. So, you know, all the coaches are in there, you know, talking, you know, getting ready for, and I come in, I'm like, hey, hey, JD, what's going on? I'm like, no, nah, I'm good. I'm good. Herm, can I talk to you real quick? You know, yeah, yeah. JD, wait. Yeah, just wait for us. I'll be right out there. I said, all right. So I come out. And so I wasn't the only one. So it was me. Uh, Jared Allen was another guy. Jared, Jared uh, was out there too. Uh, He's just like, man, I don't understand it. So I don't think they didn't capture that part of him being out there, being upset about his room at, at the time. But I know mm-hmm. I'm like, look, I don't I look, I done, I done earned my stripes. There's no question. I am not gonna be on the second floor. So Herm comes out, cameras is on us. I'm like, yo, Herm, what's the deal? Like <laughs> they said, these are the room assignments, and they got me on the second floor. My room is always the first, first room on the first floor. It hasn't changed since I've been here in you know Kansas City uh, in the past eight years. Well, JD, you know, I you know, I was just thinking that you know, you know, you're not practicing, you know, because I was hurt because my back, you know, you're not practicing, and so you know, you 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 don't really have to do anything. So I was just going to kind of give the first floor to the guys that are practicing. I said, wait a minute, hold on, her <laughs> time out. First off, those guys practicing, they will be so blessed to get to where I'm at. Okay, a guy that's been here 11 years. These guys that have been here two or three years, I don't care about their legs. They got young legs. They got young legs. And I don't even care if I'm practicing or not. These right here are stripes earned. That's my privilege. I am a first floor guy. That is, that, it's not even a, a, a debate. I said, man, it's true. You, you should know this. Being a coach, you should know that. That a guy earns his stripes. You wouldn't do anything like that. You wouldn't accept anything like that. He's like, yeah, J.D., but I was just thinking, man, look, I tell you what. He said, I know we got in this. We were trying to work out, I think, Larry's deal at the time and stuff like that. Oh, Just yeah, that's right. Larry. I said, well, Larry ain't even here. And he's got a first a first floor. So if you're trying to appease him, but yeah, I'm here. I'm not practicing. And you give me a second floor. So he's like, J.D., he said, look, man, I'll tell you this. He said, man, he said, I promise you, as soon as you start practicing, man, I'll give you your first floor and stuff like that. I said, no. I said, I don't know. So we was back and forth at it. But I was getting on him more. So we they took a lot out of it. Yeah. You know, because they had me kind of getting on him a lot, right? Oh man! And so I was like, "Look, man," I said, "Look, I'm gonna tell, I'm gonna talk to you about this every single day, every single day until I'm on, I'm on the first floor." Seriously, I said, "You know you're wrong, Herm. You know you're wrong for this." He said, "Jay, I, I get it." So I know he tried to work some things out, but I was yeah. pissed. I did. Matter of fact, I'll tell you this: when I went back to our dormitory, I refused to go get in my room. Matter of fact, I called home because I was going to take a flight. I was going to leave. I was about to leave. Uh, Training camp because of that. Oh wow! Yeah, but I, that was uh, that was me and my emotions pissed yeah. off. Me and my pride, my you know. And so what I did was, I was like, you know what? I had my brother. My brother was talking. One of my oldest brothers was talking to me. He said, "Look, man, I get it. I understand. Look, just you know, just maintain what you have to do, and you know, just you know, bite the bullet." Bite the bullet for it. So, so thank God for him for talking me down because I was on a flight from Minnesota back home to Kentucky. That's where I was. That's where I was headed. 
until they got a, 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 a situation like that. See, and that's just where I guess when when you get, uh, you know, that privilege in you, you know, just like I, that's my expectation. Well, yeah, anybody would have been pissed. So, yeah, I, w- I was hot. I was absolutely pissed, absolutely pissed. And everybody knew it. You know, all the guys, they say, oh, shit, you know, JD's pissed. He is hot. And so, yeah, I don't think a whole lot of guys had any rest, man, because I, I was I was up a storm on, on, during that time. Uh, but I uh, I settled with it, and I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to be on my own program. I'm going to get my body right. I'm going to get to where I need to be. Uh, and then, you know, I don't even, I don't even want to be on the first floor. I don't even want to be on the first floor anymore. Now my mindset now, I'm, I'm, I'm in a whole different warrior mindset now. So that's where I was at. You mentioned the cameras. Have you ever seen uh, Last Chance You on Netflix? I have. I have. Yeah, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I've become really good friends with um, Jason Brown, uh, who was okay. on seasons three and four. Uh, and, yeah. and he was uh, a brief, briefly of Kansas, Kansas City Chief, um, mm-hmm. I remember. But uh, I know he's done some interviews, and he's going to be on the podcast later this month. And I do want to ask him about this. I know in some interviews he mentioned that the cameras were – kind of a distraction uh and that's why they really struggled the second season when they were on the show now granted i mean those are college kids and you guys are are pros in the nfl but you did allude to this i mean they see you're pissed off and the cameras and the mic oh okay let's go follow this guy and i remember they were showing damon heward and they were just following him while he's trying to talk to his family uh through skype or whatever it was um What was it like when those cameras were following you because i think a lot of people have this perception of that hard knocks can be a distraction and it can kind of irritate the players. Can you speak to that a little bit? Absolutely. hundred percent. I, I tell people this all the time that that year that we had hard knocks was probably one of the worst re- years that we had team wise, just dealing with things. And a lot of it is, it's not just a distraction of it, but what you find out, you start finding out from guys is everybody starts trying to play to the camera. Okay. So that's a lot of it. Everybody's trying to, you know, become their own little, you know, actor or Hollywood. They'll, Listen, look, look, we up here to do a job, okay? You know, the cameras sometimes coming in and, and catching things, fine. But, you know, being as intrusive as they are, complete distraction. And so it takes away from your focus on what it is that you have to do. And now all of a sudden you, you start becoming a ham <laughs> to the camera. Uh, and I, and Jason is absolutely right, man. It, it, it's, it absolutely destroys teams, absolutely destroys teams. Because some, some guys just don't understand how to um, embrace having these things and, and not making a distraction. Because then all of a sudden, the camera's in there, and you're, you're like trying to look at the camera and stuff like that. And I'm just like, oh, my God, this is just terrible. Nobody is paying attention like you should. And so what I've seen, and I'll say this. I, look, this, this is my opinion on it. You know, I said, you know, her coming from New York was a media guy. That's who, that's who he was kind of a coach in a, in, in a sense because he handed up play for the camera, I, I thought. And, and look, that's his personality, right? He's a colorful guy. He's a color analyst. That's who Herm was. So that's why he was very good on TV because he, he could play to that. And I think that's why he might have accepted it because coming from a, a, a big media place like New York, you know, he was more used to it. And so when you bring these to, like you said, young guys – you know, because you still got you guys are still young, 21, 22 years old coming in the NFL. Yeah, there were a lot of young guys on that team that year. Yes. And, and the thing is, you have expectations of what you think the NFL is. And so what you do is you try to play to that, you know, that uh, character or actor, whoever you, you are, as opposed, as opposed to being organic. 
And so you start seeing veteran players doing the same thing, right? And so the, the, the focus went off of what was going on on the field to more so like how am I going to look this week on um, hard knocks? Completely ridiculous. Completely ridiculous. So, I mean, I, I was I was just against it. Uh, I, I think there probably needs a better job uh, of how you control the cameras in itself, where they, they're able to do their work, uh, kind of make it organic, where guys are not playing to it, but still not being so intrusive where, you know, you're, you're taking away from, you know, guys being uh, focused on what they need to do. But 100%, man, I mean, Jason, it, like when you talk to him, you tell him Jason Dunn agrees. <laughs> Jason Dunn absolutely agrees. Worst season ever with, with Kansas City. I, I just, to me, it was that start that put us to where we were at that year, you know, so. I remember John Embry, uh, he has two kids and they were, I went to high school with his kids and okay. I think word was he didn't care about the show, but he always got the uh, gist from his kids, what made it on TV and whatnot. Uh, I, I would imagine in the hotel, they didn't have HBO, but did you or did any of the players try to watch the show as it would air or maybe the next day just to see what was on HBO? Yeah, I was finding guys were doing that. Guys, guys was watching it. You know, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't watch it. <laughs> you know, I was just like, man, look, first off, we're living it, for one. Two, we got a job to do. I'm not, man, it's, it's TV. It's, you know, it's Hollywood. And so, like I said before, some of it is just playing to the cameras. You know, it's not, it's, you're not your natural state like you want to be, right? Being yourself. There were some, some moments where, you know, you do capture because guys like me and Tony getting on each other. That's, I, I'm going to say this because they had a lot of times that we, we were getting on each other. And Tony had some, some of the creative process. They would ask him about him. What can I put on camera? And I was like, man, you missed a whole lot of me digging on him. And, you know, so it was like some of those things uh, as far as like the production part of it was, was a little crazy. Uh, but there, there was, look, there's some funny moments that was captured. But ultimately, to, to me, I just feel like it was just a distraction. Uh, but, you know, that, that's <laughs> that's TV. Yeah. That's how TV works, right? Did so. you uh, – yeah, this is just self-interest because i become fr good friends with Jason. But ha did you and Jason Brown ever get to know each other? I know he was briefly with the team. I don't think he played a regular season game. Yeah, I, I, I think Jason was there at the camp when I was up there. Okay. And so um, – I'm. Because when I when I seen it, he said it was in Kansas City. I'm trying to remember. I'm like, I, I think I, rem I do remember it. He did you know, mention it was the same year Larry Johnson was a rookie. So I think 2003 was when he was on yeah. the team. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I remember it. You know, and, and sometimes, man, when you when you see guys, you know, and and, and you get numbers, right? Very first time of like OTAs, training camp, it's, you know, it's numbers and guys, and you know, you're trying to remember everybody's faces. And so, you know, I know it's kind of difficult, but when he was talking about that, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, it's just kind of, I kind of remember, you know, him being out there, you know, because I think I remember him, him talking about like where he came from and because is he from, he's from Kansas area, right? Or he's, not, he, he's from Stockton, California, but he did play junior college in Kansas. Like he's pretty familiar with the state of Kansas. Okay. Okay. That's what it was to play Juco out there. In Kansas. Yep. Okay. All right. Yeah. Because, you know, sometimes you remember stories too you know, that's uh, attributed to, to other guys. So I, I think that's what that was part of it. Yeah. But I like, I like Jason, man. I, I love, uh, you know, the, the TV, the TV show, you know, so sometimes, man, they, they, you gotta, you gotta be careful. <laughs> gotta be careful with that camera, man. Gotta be careful. 
He, so, he always said uh, it wasn't the cameras that bothered him. It was the microphones. Um, in fact, he said, I don't know if, if you have uh, listened to any of his interview. He was on Pat McAfee's show recently, but he said he, he doesn't even watch his own season. He's seen clips, but he says he can't. He knows that, you know, he said way too many crazy things uh, because of the microphones. So he can't watch his own season of, uh, of last year or any of the seasons for that matter. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, because, you know, it's perception. That's what it is. It's perception. And sometimes people could create a narrative and, and show something, you know, it's like, oh man, you know, you got that on there or you just, you know, so it's, you know, you got to kind of be careful. Uh, so yeah, man, that, that, that cameras kind of something else, there's something else and the microphones, right. Yeah. I mean, but, but sometimes, you know, they're good and bad. Sometimes people catch things on microphones. You never knew somebody thought about, right. You catch a hot mic and somebody's saying something crazy. He's like, oh, well, I'm glad to expose who you are, right? <laughs> you know, or catching the camera, you know, so, you know, I'm not saying that, you know, camera stuff are, are, are bad all the time. I just say we had to be, you know, cognizant of, of, of what we're doing and who we are uh, when we're out there, but still trying to be, you know, uh, natural in our state <clears throat> when we're doing these things. Uh, a couple more questions before we let you go, Jason. Uh, as a tight end, I want to know from you, what are your thoughts on Travis Kelsey? And can you, and listen, I remember when Tony Gonzalez was traded, a lot of people were really sad, upset, disappointed, so many different emotions and thought, man, we just had the best tight end in NFL history and we're not going to have a guy like this ever again. Well, yeah. here you now have Travis Kelsey. Can you talk about from your perspective as a tight end, what you see in Kelsey and what are some of the big differences and similarities in uh, the two guys? Uh. So first of all, I'll talk about uh, Travis and uh, some of the things that he does well uh, that I'm, I'm really impressed with is when, when Travis is out there running the route, uh, he, he's, he's real fluid in his motion. And you know, he doesn't look like he's, he's overly fast, or at least it doesn't look like he's running fast, but he, he's, he's gaining ground when he's doing it. And so he's able to do this at the same speed all the time. And so it, it's, it's some, I'm not saying it's rare, but to have an ability – to run full speed and come out of the break at full speed, catching the football is something that uh, is tough to do. And Tony had that ability as well. So the thing is, you know, creating separation and getting open is, is an attribute that, that Travis has. Uh, and, and so Tony, he had the same thing, but they, they was very different in, in the way they were doing it. I think Tony ran with a lot more power, you know, uh, with what he was doing, he used a lot more basketball moves as far as like, you know, nudging guys off, you know, kind of oh, yeah. bodying things up. Uh, and while I say Travis is a little bit more, uh, I don't want to say slippery, but he he's he can he can maneuver his body. Man, he's got some some wiggle in his hips, man. He can just he can make guys miss and move around to get open. And, you know, I see linebackers constantly like they're trying to put a hand on him. He gets around him. And he's on the other side of him. And he's just so fluid by how he does it. It's almost, it's real graceful that he does it, man. So I, I really enjoy him when he's doing it that way. Uh, similarities in, in Tony and, and Travis is the uh, the winning attitude, the confidence, right? You know, almost perceived as cockiness. But you see these guys just want to be the best out there on the field all the time. They just want to win. And so plus the intensity of it. Tony's was more of like a quiet intensity uh, you know, he, he kind of was, you know, was inter more an introvert, like his, as far as his intensity out there on the field. I mean, Tony had like these intense eyes. I mean, you just see his, you know, the steel of his, 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 the glaze that he just focused on what he, he had to do. Right. 
It's nobody's taking him out of that concentration. And Travis is another one where he's just so passionate when he's out there playing that every chance and opportunity he gets to, to beat guys, he just loves it. He just, he, he, I mean, he, he relishes in it. You just see him. He just, man, and I love it because he gets up and he's just excited in, in the things that he's doing out there. So that's the similarities. But Travis, man, just coming on the scene, uh, I, didn't, I mean, I really didn't see it coming, you know, that he was going to be this good. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah. And it, it took maybe a couple of years. It's like, okay, man, this guy's, man, he's really good. So it's just not a fluke. Because sometimes you have a guy like, you know, he's good one year. But then all of a sudden it's like, okay, he tapers off another year. You know, so you wonder like, when you know, was it this, was it that? But now, nah, man, he's, he's kept it consistent. And I think a lot of it is just, you know, his mindset. His mindset and, and his, his skill set of just getting open. You know, and able to run, you know, with the football. So I, I call him the rubber man man. He, he looks like the rubber man man to, to, to me. He could bounce off and move his body in certain ways uh, that you're like, well, why did he, you know, he turned to catch it like that? But that's just him. That's how he does things. Well, I remember there was one play, and I can't remember the game exactly. It, it was late in the year or it was early in the playoffs, but he catches a pass and he hardly moves an inch. And the defender just completely missed him. And I'm sure the defensive coaches hate that, but it's like, even things like that, it's like, he didn't do anything. He just stood there and it still impresses you the way he does it. And he, and that's the, the subtle moves of, to be elusive, you know, not to take the full hit. He, he, he does a great job of it. And I think it's part of why he doesn't, he doesn't get hurt a lot, you know? And so those, uh, that's another uh, uh, attribute that, that Tony and, and uh, Travis have is durability. Look, Tony is a machine. Yeah, I mean, he was absolute machine, yeah. man. I mean, he was he was all muscle, and you just you couldn't hurt him. You couldn't hurt Tony. That was the thing about it, man. He, he was just strong, and you know, big and powerful, and so he was just a guy that he would just take hits. He get right back up. And some guys, you just know that oh, this guy he ain't gonna get up out this hit. And Tony would just shake it off like it was nothing. So his durability over his uh, his career. It's astronomical. You know, I mean, you just don't find guys like that anymore. I mean, really. And I think people don't really understand that, like, his durability uh, throughout his entire career, you know, where he was able to stay out there on the field. Uh, and so Travis is doing the same, man. He, you know, you don't see him being dinged up and hurt, you know, because he is elusive. You don't let, like, full, full hits come on him, right? And so, he, like you said, he's able to, you know, maneuver away from the full hits on those. So, yeah, man, that that's – that's a special quality. That is an absolute special quality uh, just to go through a football season and not get hurt. Yeah. You know, I, I've seen it, man. Tony, shoot, like I said, that, that joker, man, was was absolutely incredible for not getting hurt. That's, that's a blessing right there. So, uh, but yeah, but Travis, man, phenomenal player, phenomenal. The last thing I wanted to ask you, uh, the podcast you do, the Chiefs Concerns podcast with Marcus Dash and Eric Warfield, uh, we talked about both guys uh, earlier, uh, and I, I'll give credit to Marcus because I remember he messaged me. Um, his first episode, I think, was with Tyler Palco, who, like, I mean, you know, not the most exciting guy to, to talk to, but he started somewhere and eventually built his way up. Uh, I believe he had you and uh, Eric as guests, not at the same time, at, at separate times. And right. at some point, you guys all came together, did the podcast, and because of you and Eric and the guys you guys are connected to, you guys have had guys like Dick Vermeil, Dante Hall, Tom Bahali on the podcast. Um, so kind of a two-part question here. Talk about how that trio came together for this podcast, and what has it been like for you to 
do this whole online deal and uh, do the podcasting thing and connecting with fans on the internet? Uh, well, I mean, that, that was that was a perfect introduction. I mean, that's you know, I had a, I had an interview with Marcus reached out to me. Uh, he had one with Eric, uh, and I think some our personalities just kind of click. You know, it was just guys that you know you can kind of feel guys that just kind of easy to talk to. Yeah. You know, you just you're like, hey man, this is a guy I could just sit in the room, you know, have a beer with, and have a great conversation. And so when he said, hey man, you know, I'm thinking about doing you know the full podcast with you want to host this with me. And I might ask Eric Warfield. I'm like, man, absolutely. I, you know, I had a, I had a great time doing the podcast. And as you can know, I, I love talking anyway. I, I love just talking to people. Uh, but I said, man, I shoot, would, would love to do it. Love to do it. And so once we got on and we, you know, we thought we was initially just going to do it for the season. We didn't know, quite know how it was going to go. <clears throat> and it went well. And we just started and started growing. We started getting better with it. You know, because it's a lot of work, because, you know, podcasts, a lot of work, you know, and you got to you got to get into like, how you know, you know, the guests, what we're going to do, get prepared for these things. Yeah. So it's kind of it, it, the difficulty comes in because, you know, you, you got your regular life that you have to do. Right. And so, me, you know, being a father and I, I help out a lot of uh, other people, you know, just going, you know, here and there. So, you know, some of the things when I'm, I'm kind of out here on the on the podcast, it, it's me, it's me being raw, just having a conversation. Because I'm just talking to the audience like I'm sitting there and we just, you know, having a beer with each other. But, uh, man, it's been great. It's been great. So I got to know, you know, Marcus real well. And, you know, I know E anyway. And he is one of the probably one of the best guys you could possibly know. I mean, oh, yeah. he was always one of those guys that was just a, an easy guy on the team that was everybody's friend. And so, you know, S.E., man, he, he's, uh, you know, he's a character. He's a cut up. Uh but man, he's just a fun guy. He, he, that's he, he, that's his heart. That's who he is. Just one of the best guys, man, that that, that I know. And I, I thank you for it. And, and Marcus too. So those those two guys, man. I, you know, I, I love them. Great dudes. We have we have a ton of fun out there on the thing, and we get it. And we just looking to hopefully grow this even more. Uh, but yeah, I'm glad Marcus reached out to me. You know, E was able to do it for me. And I know E's kind of like, all right, man, you know, because sometimes, you know, E he runs, he plays a lot of golf. And I know sometimes, like, dang, I got to do the podcast. But I think he enjoys it every time he gets on. I enjoy it every time I get on. So yeah. sometimes you get on it and it's like, oh, man, I got to do this, right, the podcast uh, right before. But then when you get on, you're like, hey, man, that's true. Good show. Well done. And so it's, it's a good thing to just catch up with, uh, you know, guys that, uh, that you play with. Um, and just kind of, you know, bring some of the great stories back, uh, you know, just seeing where their life is at. And to me, that's that's probably the most special thing is, you know, catching up with former player, former teammates, uh, and just talking to them. Uh, Sean Barber called me yesterday, but I'm just kind of talking uh, about this, that he was saying that Coach Ramirez is going to be coming out to Kansas City. And he usually takes a lot of guys that are still out in Kansas City, you know, kind of takes them out to dinner and whatnot. And I was like, man, that's, man, that's such a wonderful thing, wonderful thing. That's just another testament who – Coach Mill is. And so, you know, we, we care about each other's families. We care about, you know, one, one another, just checking in where guys are in their life. Uh, and, you know, we just want to see that everybody is doing well. So we could just bring good content in and maybe some of the things that people want to talk about, ask some of these questions. Uh, never miss a beat, man. I love it. I love it. Now, I've listened to a couple episodes and some clips online as well. Uh, I really like your guys' podcast and also uh, Joe Valerio and Joe Fedotin. Uh, they do the uh, Chiefs podcast on the Believe Network. Usually when you have former players, I think those are always more enjoyable because 
Uh, yeah, I mean, they have a little more connections with bringing guests and also their perspective on things. And they talk about the, the past and comparing it to how things are now. So those are always really enjoyable. So I really enjoy your podcast. And Marcus has done a really great job with that. Uh, I used to do a Chiefs podcast. And I'll tell you what, Marcus has done a much, much better job with that than I have with mine. So it's yeah. really great. Uh, I, I really do uh, enjoy uh, listening to you guys. Uh, hey, Jason, uh, before you go, uh, I know you're on social media. Uh, talk about that. How can fans connect with you and how can uh, people get involved with uh, Done for Kids or if there's a website for that? Yeah, so we get the website put up. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm getting it all built up new uh, for the Done for Kids. So I'll, I'll definitely be sharing. I'll be sharing it on my podcast even more. I'll probably send you something, man. Maybe you can share it on your Twitter account. and stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, please do. Yeah. And, and so but and so here, here's the thing. So social media is not my, my strength. All right. It's not. And so I didn't really have a Twitter handle before all this started with the podcast and stuff. So I was asking Marcus, like, man, how do you how do you do it? Set this thing up. Same thing like Instagram. I'm, like, I'm, I'm not an Instagram guy. I think I got like maybe like five or six pictures and stuff. And I, I just started. I'll tell you when I started Instagram is when the Chiefs had the uh, the parade, uh, you know, for the Chiefs had what? The, the, the parade for the. Oh, for the, OK. OK. Gotcha. Championship uh, parade. And I had this 15 year old kid get me on Instagram. To help me get my profile put together. Cause I was just like, man, look, I don't understand any of this stuff, really. So Instagram, uh, you know, TikTok, all those different things, man. I'm, I'm just, I'm not a real huge social media guy. So I, I'll get on it and I'll have my little time with it and then I'll put it down, <laughs> you know? So I, I, this thing right here, this phone, I, I'll, I'll put this thing down for like two or three hours in a Good day. Good for you. I won't even touch it. Yeah, seriously, man. I, I just, you know, because I see I see people just constantly and, and I know people want to get away from it, but it's the habit. Right. You just get into the habit yeah. and it's just like, hey, God, I just lost two or three hours. And where to go? Right. <laughs> exactly. I, mean, I could have been accomplishing so much more. And even if you're not doing anything, man, just relax. You know, get off social media because people get angered. And I, look, I'm not even on Facebook. I don't even have a Facebook profile. So I know I, I hear a lot of craziness on Facebook. And I'm like, really? That like, yeah. And I'm just like, you know what? This stuff right here is insanity. It is insanity, you know? So, uh, yeah, the lunacy of it, of just social media is, I try to use it for the good stuff. Let me put it that way. And so if I hear, like, good, share good stories, that's what I try to do. So I think my Twitter handle, man, I, I, I don't even know what it is. I, uh, I think it's like Jason something. Yeah, it is. Uh, I can help you out if you're uh, Jason TD89. There you go. you are on Twitter. Jason's TD89, yeah. Uh-huh. So I'm, I'm trying to get my followers up on Twitter because I'm like, okay, look, let me get my followers up. You know, so I just want more of this content to go out so guys can start following me and, and you know, maybe Instagram. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to get more involved maybe with some of these things, but, but I'm not going to let it take all my time away because I, I can see, man, it, 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 it'll get you. <laughs> I mean, look, I've got more followers than you on Twitter, and that should not be the case at all. If you guys are not <laughs> following Jason, go follow him, Jason. It's spelled J A S U S. TD89 on Twitter. Go give him a follow on Twitter. <laughs> well, appreciate it. Appreciate it. And I, 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 you know, I'll go and follow it. That, that's, yeah, that's a good thing. It's good to have. I guess, it, it, and, and I see what it, what the dangers of it is. Oh, it's yeah. Like, oh, man, I got more followers. I got more followers. And, and you're you're constantly working to get more followers, more followers. But I like I like quality. I like quality content. I like people following me. Yeah, like, hey, yeah, why not? Why not? You know, fans of stuff. Uh, but Hey, man, you know, use it for all the good things, right? Spread love. Spread love in this world, okay? Certainly cannot disagree with that. 
Hey, uh, Jason, had so much fun talking to you. A lot of great stuff. Uh, we'll have to do this again sometime. Uh, enjoy everything you're doing. Uh, we'll definitely tune into the podcast. Uh, until then, uh, we'll keep in touch. We'll do this again later. Awesome. Appreciate it for us, Ian. All right. All right. That is Jason Dunn, former Kansas City Chiefs tight end here with us on FarzCast. Uh, appreciate all of you guys who asked questions on the Facebook page. Uh, we'll try to do more of this with our future guests. Uh, got a lot of people coming up. I mentioned Jason Brown coming up real soon. We'll be talking to him in the near future. Also, former Chief Scout Dan Shanka. Uh, he's going to be joining us as well real soon as well. Uh, Adam Pock from Big Brother 13, uh, Morgan Gannum and Jared McMullen, uh, and Joe Valerio as well, former Chief as well. So stay tuned for that. Subscribe to the podcast. Share the links with your friends. Until then, enjoy your week. I will talk to you guys later. Take care.